Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight, don't we? (laughs) Welcome to the show, you guys. I'm Dan. This is Seahawks Forever going live today. Haven't done this in a while, uh, but I enjoy doing it this way after games. Um, less prep, more reaction, um, more in the moment. And also I get to involve you. You can comment if you're watching this on any of the three sources, if you're watching it through YouTube or Twitter or my Facebook, you can type in the comments through that application and they'll show up here. Questions, your feelings about the game as we get into some topics here. And I can put them on the screen and respond to them live. There is a lot to unpack in this one, isn't there? Uh, the Seahawks, bottom line, get a win. Move to 6-3 and three on the season They uh, with the 29-26 walk-off win. Jason Myers hits his uh, fifth and final uh, field goal of the day to win it. After really a tale of two halves for the Seahawks offense and a tale of two or three plays for the Seahawks defense, right? Um, There's a lot we're going to talk about, but let me cut right to the chase because I know that the thing that's first and foremost on everyone's mind right now is this game may have encapsulated who Geno Smith is, what he is. As, you know, we're now a year and a half into this thing of him being the full-time starter in Seattle. And there have certainly been ups and downs. He had the great first half. Everybody talks about the first half last year. It was really first two thirds. Uh, didn't play as well down the stretch. And then started off this this year hot. The offense was, you know, averaging over 30 points a game the first four games of the year since then in the teens. And there have been turnovers. With Gino accounting for... Um, for a bunch of those himself. And today within the game, you know, this thing was tied at nine at halftime. The the kind of the, I want to say fluky, it wasn't fluky because it happened again later, almost a carbon copy. Uh, Sam Howell on a little rollout improvisational play hits Brian Robinson for the long broken coverage touchdown. Then they miss the extra point. Seahawks get three Jason Myers field goals in the first half and it's nine to nine at halftime. Uh, but we have to talk about what happened at the end of the first half. 
because just the timing of it, not just the results of it, but the timing of it led to a 10 minute break where everybody gets to hop on social media and talk about how they feel about Geno Smith. Seahawks get the ball back with under a minute left, all three timeouts. They have a chance to score again, knowing that they get the ball to start the second half because they won the toss and deferred to start this game. And moving the ball down the field, it looks like they can at least get a field goal, make it a 12-9 game. <laughs> Sorry. Butch is trying to make an appearance on this stream, and it's really freaking me out because he's climbing around uh, cords, and he's actually standing on top of my computer. Okay, buddy. All right. Well, that's going to be fun. This the this is the fun part of the, doing the live. Uh, and Geno Smith, obviously, he takes just the absolute horrible inexcusable grounding penalty where instead of throwing the ball away, um, he tries to run with it. And then at the last second, as he's going down to the turf, tries to throw it thinking he can be an incomplete pass, live to play another day, get a field goal out of it. Very reminiscent of, we saw Russ do that numerous times later in his career here where he just, just fighting and fighting and fighting to the last second as he's being tackled, nobody in the area, trying to throw the ball away, hoping to not get a penalty. It was, it was inexcusable. But the timing of it leading into the halftime break led to hashtag bench Geno. Led to a lot of trending Geno Smith um, criticism. A lot of, you got to bench him at halftime. You got to bring Drew Locke in in the second half. And, you know, I'll put the card up, go back and check out my show from earlier this week where I, where I talked about Geno versus Drew and why it's not always the best idea to go with the backup quarterback. It always seems like it is because it's the unknown. It's the mysterious. It's full of possibilities. And, oh, by the way, we saw that one play that he made in the preseason that got us excited. You know, that's just the life of a backup quarterback, and that's the life of a fan when your starting quarterback is struggling. And Geno Smith has, at times, struggled. And then he comes out in the second half. Of course, Pete Carroll doesn't make a move at halftime. Excuse me. <laughs> That's going to make for some really, really, really good uh, video. I'll edit that out before I before I put it up. Um, see you, Butch. Peace. We'll see you after the show. <laughs> Anyway, where was I? Back to Gino. Of course, Pete Carroll wasn't going to bench him at halftime. Stuck with him and his uh, his belief in him and, and his patience um, paid off. Gino Smith, career high today with 369 passing yards. He's 31 out of 47. Two touchdowns. More importantly, zero interceptions, zero fumbles, no turnovers, a passer rating of 104. And came back and drove him down the field multiple times. Multiple times. Four of their last five drives, uh, they scored. Hang on a second here. I bookmarked a uh, stat here that I think Brady Henderson put up uh, that I thought was really, really cool. Uh, I believe it was four of the last five drives uh, they scored. Oh, here it is. Uh, from field goals. Mookie put this up. Um, 369, Geno Smith's 369 yards, a career high for him. Offense scored on four of its last five possessions, 20 points on five drives is terrific football is what he said. Uh, I saw a lot of tweets after the game. Uh, Seahawks offense is back. Um, <laughs> to which I replied, like, can we just stop with always having to make definitive statements? We're nine games into this, right? We, we technically, 
I'm going to treat this week as the midpoint. Okay. Going to have Jeff Simmons from Real Hawk Talk on the show tomorrow. We're going to assess this team at the midpoint. You know, it's an, it's an odd number now. But it's we're nine games into a 17-game schedule. You know, we know more. I talk about this league being a week-to-week league, but it's it's each week we find out more about teams. And we find out more about how good their wins look or how bad their losses look or how maybe not bad their losses look or how unimpressive some of their wins look. You know what I'm talking about. And, you know, we saw Cleveland go into Baltimore and beat the Ravens today in a matchup of the two top, uh, the number one and number two defenses in the NFL. And it ends up being a high scoring game. Cleveland wins, uh, on a field goal, same way the Seahawks did, 33 to 31. So what does that tell you? Like, the Seahawks beat the Browns, albeit without Deshaun Watson, although he didn't play particularly well today. And they got rolled by the Ravens, and then the Browns go on the road and beat the Ravens. So is that Browns win look better? Like, if you were scoring this the way that the NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament selection committee does, we talk about RPI, right? And strength of schedule and quality of wins and and qual- quality, I guess, of losses. Is that, does that win over Cleveland now look more impressive? Does that loss against Baltimore look more like an anomaly? Granted, for some of you, you might be sitting there at home banging on the desk saying, hey, commanders are a bottom five defense in most metrics, right? 26th, 27th in the league. Uh, they traded away Montez Sweat and Chase Young, the two best pass rushers. Uh, still have still have um, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. Still got some dudes in there, right? Um, although they lost Emmanuel Forbes, their, their outstanding cornerback in the first quarter after a targeting call on Tyler Lockett, who thankfully uh, checked out in the concussion protocol. We'll get to that in a minute because Tyler was huge today, but the Geno Smith thing is just not going to go away. And, it, and I think it kind of mirrors where the Seahawks are. I kept thinking as I, as I'm watching this game it became evident early on that, okay, this just might be who they are. And this just might be how they have to win games that we're not going to, we're not going to be on the other end of any Baltimore, Seattle steamrolls. We don't get to beat teams like that. That's just not who we are, at least not right now. The question is, the question is, could we be? Right? And and that's what frustrates us. It's the possibilities. We see the possibilities. And, th- and this occurred to me today as well. I think the thing that's so frustrating about Gino is, and we're still going to hear it this week. We're still going to hear it that, if people that have decided they don't like Geno Smith aren't going to change their minds because of this game, even though he threw for almost 400 yards and had zero turnovers, because they're going to point to the grounding call and they're going to point to missed opportunities. Again, I can't wait for the all 22 on this. I usually don't get mine until Tuesday or Wednesday. So I'll I'll try to do a breakdown show later in the week. Um, But I felt like watching it on the TV copy. I didn't go to the stadium today that, that there were some guys running wide open on a couple of key plays, especially third downs, which once again, despite the win, terrible on third downs. Four out of 14. They were three out of their first four in the game, and then they went on a stretch of one out of nine. 
And on some of those, there was pressure. And so, you know, it's easy to say on TV, there was one where JSN looked like he was running wide open down the seam. There was another one where somebody had mentioned on Twitter that uh, Bobo was wide open on a play in which he he threw an incompletion or had to throw the ball away. Um, there was another one I saw that looked like a pretty reasonable throw to Tyler Lockett running a underneath route over the middle, wide, wide ass open on a third down. Gino decided to go somewhere else with the ball. So I'm not sure what's going on with the processing there. I'm not sure if it's just pressure that he didn't have last year because he was letting it fly because nothing was expected of him. And, and that perhaps, you know, that gets to you and that, and that causes that momentary indecision but I'd have to see the tape because on some of those plays, man, it's easy from our couch to say, should have hit that guy. But a couple of those that Twitter went nuts about as I watched it live and the little bit of the replay that they gave us with, without full coverage view, right? You know, it looked like you're asking him to be superhuman that he's getting pressured. He's about, he's about to get smoked and, uh, and, it, and it, it was unrealistic to think that he could hit those guys that were open. But that's kind of, that's the frustration with Gino. He can have a game like this and he still makes the bonehead decision at the end of the first half. You just can't have from a veteran starting quarterback. And then you have missed opportunities. Um, let's go back to the stats and kind of look at this. And then I'll get, I've got some comments uh, and questions from you guys. So we'll go back to that. Um, overall today, the Seahawks offense was, uh, as balanced as we've seen it at least since what Carolina game, um, Ken Walker had a, uh, kind of a workmanlike game on the ground, 19 carries 63 yards, just a 3.3 yard average had a long, a 13 seemed to be more like second half Kenneth Walker. Uh, a couple of plays where he tried to bounce it outside and improvise, but he was really putting his shoulder down, I thought, and running physical and, and trying to keep the ball between the tackles, hit the intended hole. Um, but then he had the uh, the one, the little check down catch for a 64-yard touchdown that really kind of turned this game around, gave the Seahawks a lead. Um, dynamic play. And, and I want to talk about that play for a second before I get to your comments, because I, I do think... It's a good example of how, and I was going back and forth with someone on Twitter about this, um, about how lucky Gino got that he just happened to check it down to one of the best running backs in the league who did the rest of it himself and ran for a touchdown. And uh, my argument to that, or my counter to that was, you can't cherry pick like that. You don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to criticize every single time you think he misses a throw that's there. And then not give him credit for a play that, while it looks easy, quote unquote, as a check down, he did everything to make that play happen. He saw the coverage. He checked out of the play they had called. He audibled to a new play. When his first read wasn't there and he was getting pressure, he moved around the pocket a little bit and got the ball out to Kenneth Walker. Taking the check down is something Gino hasn't done well this year. It's been one of his major problems. He's, he's had a little bit of Russell Wilson disease of 
foregoing the easy play, always looking for the deep downfield throw, sometimes when there's too much pressure to make that happen. So you can't, I, I don't think, you, I, I just don't think you can have it both ways. Where you rip him every single time you think that he should be able to throw a 60-yard ball with pressure because that guy's wide open and not give him credit for making that play happen, getting the ball to the right guy in space, and then that guy takes it for a touchdown. Even if that had been a 15-yard gain for a first down, would have been an outstanding play on Geno's part. It's You can't take away from him that Kenneth Walker then made it into an explosive and scored on it. Uh, before we get to some of the other stats and thoughts on some other things, including DK Metcalf, having a very Geno Smith-esque day. I'll explain that in a minute. Let's get some of your comments here. How's it going, guys? Uh, Badass1G, first time catching catching me live. Yeah, I haven't done live since uh, since right around the draft. I actually got banned from it on YouTube for 90 days because I uh, stepped over the trademark line there um, when I was live streaming the draft. And then, and then I just got into where, um, you know, I wanted the videos that I was posting to be uh, clean, produced, you know, well-produced and, and, uh, but I like the live stuff and, and I tease lives a lot during the week. I think during the week though, people have other things going on in their lives and, uh, and it just doesn't catch on, but after games makes all the sense in the world. And I like doing just the impromptu way. You know, I, I have very few notes just kind of going off of my thoughts as I watch the game live and then your questions and comments. Uh, here we go. 16-bit blocker. Mafe is a legit beast. Seven games in a row now with the sack. That is a, a franchise record. Um, he had five total tackles. Uh, four solo, the sack, a tackle for loss, a pass defensed, and a QB hit. And damn near got to the last touchdown uh, that Sam Howell threw to Antonio Gibson. I don't know how Howell got, I, I think I tweeted, I was pretty proud of myself for this. And sometimes I don't know what it is. I don't know. Side note. I don't know how after 12 years on Twitter, I only have 2,400 followers. But anyway, uh, I get very few tweets that get heavy engagement. And I thought, I thought I was pretty proud of myself for saying, Howell, Howell in the hell did he get that ball off? Uh, Mafe was right there, right there. Definitely counts as a pressure. Uh, it affected Howell's mechanics and his ability to follow through. And he still was able to get the ball out to Antonio Gibson for the touchdown. Uh, Mafe is a problem for the other team. And he's been, he's consistent. Um, and it's, it's good. They need every bit of, of it because on the other side, they're not getting much out of Daryl Taylor. He had one tackle today and one QB hit. Uh, they're not getting much out of Frank Clark. He had one tackle. That's it. He just doesn't look like he's impacting the game. It'll be interesting to see the snap counts when they come out um, in this one. Derek Hall was healthy, but it, it, I didn't see a lot of impact plays from him. Um, looked like, and I'd have to defer to guys like, you know, my boys, Matty Brown and Griffin Sturgeon, it kind of looked like um, they were playing, you know, with Leonard Williams in the fold now, kind of a little bit more 4-3-ish stuff where 
Williams and Maffe essentially were defensive ends and Reed and Draymond Jones were defensive tackles. That's kind of how I think it was Brady Henderson that tweeted out like the starting lineup on defense. And that's how he listed it. Um, and then nickel two two linebackers and, uh, and then the secondary interesting, um, that that might've been the case, by the way, just another great game from Bobby Wagner, 10 tackles, six solo, a half a sack, two pass defense, one quarterback hit. And I thought there was a great, I tweeted about it. There was a great sequence in the fourth quarter where on one play, he got the half sack. He was in there with Draymond Jones. Um, who it looks like might be benefiting from Leonard Williams now. Jones seemed to influence some plays more so than we've seen him. But he's in there on one play, getting a half a sack. And on the next play, 15 yards downfield in coverage with a pass breakup on back-to-back plays. Uh, and they needed every bit of it from Bobby because it, it looked like uh, Jordan Brooks, maybe that hamstring bothering him. He wasn't his typical sideline-to-sideline explosive self um, didn't see a lot of impact from him today. Just three total tackles. Uh, another one from Fit 16-Bit Blocker. My problem with Gino is he either looks all world or horrible. He needs a little more consistency. It's frustrating. It is. And and I've compared him before, man, to, to Matt Hasselbeck. And I think the more time goes on, the more I think that's... I'm going to pat myself on the back for that comp. I think there's a lot of similarity there to my boy Matt and Gino where... Uh, They'll have great games. They'll have terrible games. And then they'll have a lot of, kind of a bell curve, right? And then in the middle, like the majority of their games will have good moments and bad moments. But more often than not, they're going to give you a chance to win. And despite all the criticism, and a lot of it warranted, you know, had a shot to win on the last play in Cincinnati, just came up short, but didn't come up short on the last play in Detroit, didn't come up short on the last play Against Cleveland, didn't come up short on the last drive in this game. Carolina came back after a, a kind of a up and down first half, had a great second half to lead that win. So I think this second half says a lot about Geno because coming off three straight really bad games and then the way that first half ended, for him to come out in the second half and play the way he did, he was the best player on the field for the Seahawks in the second half. He was. They won that football game because of Geno Smith. And I hope he gets some credit for that. That's just who he is. We can have a bigger discussion later, and we will, about what to do next year and beyond. But there's no guarantee. Again, I just have to throw this out there. There's no guarantee Drew Locke's going to be any better. Uh, yeah, here's a little here's a little high five for uh, for Gino from TD bench Gino three hundred sixty nine yards zero interceptions two touchdowns seven point eight yard average. Uh, here we go. Uh, uh, Brian Wilson bench Shane Waldron sign a fullback run the damn ball trade Jamal for a jar of M and M's and a six round pick and then hire a QB coach worth five dollars and a cheeseburger. I promise we'll be better. Greg Olson's one of the most respected quarterback coaches in the league. Um. And maybe that could be a show unto itself, like a midweek show, uh, diving into his history and, and some of the success he's had working with quarterbacks. Because I thought about that during the game, too. They showed a shot of him on the sidelines. And I thought, you know, Shane Waldron is the easy target whenever something doesn't go wrong or go right. And I've been critical of Waldron this last month. Uh, but Olsen's the QB coach. He should be the guy in the film room, in those meeting rooms with the quarterbacks, 
talking to Gino and, and saying, Hey, here's your read. Hey, you should have hit this guy. Hey, you need to, you need to throw that guy open. You need to anticipate a little better. You know where this play is going. If that you look on the, your first read and you see this, then do this. Like that's his primary job. Waldron's primary job is designing plays, putting a game plan together down in distant situations and mapping that all out and how to execute the offense, right? Um, you know, Jamal's a whole nother discussion. You had five tackles today, a tackle for loss. Um, had some missed, missed tackles were an issue again for everybody. Horrible, especially in the first half. I don't know what that is. Seahawks used to be known as one of the best tackling teams in the league. They use, uh, you know, that hybrid technique that they learned from the rugby guys and they, they made teaching tape about it and it was kind of infiltrating the rest of the league. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Um, also another outstanding game from Devin Witherspoon. Mark Sanchez just couldn't stop talking about him. Five tackles, three passes defensed. Um, God had an opportunity late in this game. To, to get a pick, just couldn't quite get up on a ball that he cut underneath. And uh, if he'd got a hand on it, Reek Woolen probably would have intercepted it. Thought it was a better game from, from Reek. Uh, Witherspoon also had a forced fumble that Reek recovered. That was a huge moment in the game. Uh, Woolen with the pass defense, uh, three total tackles. Looked good in coverage today. Maybe he's, you know, just took him a while to get going after that knee injury. Uh, sign a fullback. We have a fullback. <laughs> Nick Bloor, he's making $2 million guaranteed. Um, run the damn ball. I mean, they ran it 25 times today. They had a couple games in a row where I was right there with you. Um, you know, 14, 15 design runs. They had 25 design runs today. Uh, Zach Charbonnet late in this game, really kind of becoming the bell cow with some big runs. He had six carries for 44 yards, a 7.3 yard average. He also caught four balls for 18. Um, Gino really spread the ball around today. Um, Tyler, after the, the being checked out for the concussion in the first half, after getting hit on the targeting call, came back and most of this damage was done in the second half, but he was, he was open all day long and making big plays, eight catches, 92 yards and 11 and a half, um, average and, uh, eight catches on 10 targets and a touchdown. Uh, JSN, four catches for 53 yards, really looked like a, a big part of the game plan early. was a big part of the opening script. Had three of those catches on the first drive or two. And then, uh, and then Tyler kind of became the primary guy. DK Metcalf, targeted 12 times. And I said earlier that this was kind of a Geno Smith-esque performance. And here's what I mean by that. And maybe this is just who DK is too. Because there's a reason he slipped to the second round. He's not a perfect receiver, right? He still looks kind of clunky in some of his route running and movements and still looks kind of limited uh, in, in what he can do with that athletic ability he has. Caught seven balls for 98 yards and some big ones late, including the one that got him into field goal range where Sanchez is freaking out because they don't have a tight end as it's or a timeout as it's happening because he's trying to break tackles and he costs them too much time. They're not going to have time to get down and spike it. They had plenty of time. They even had time for Gino to let a couple more seconds run off before he spiked it, just to make sure that they would end the game on the kick. And that extra 10 yards DK got by breaking tackles there in the middle of the field. Um, huge for Jason Myers. I'm sure he appreciated that on that kick. Um, 
but he had a couple of drops early. One where Gino gave him a 50-50 ball in tight coverage. Um and uh and he and it hit him in the face. Like he didn't come down with it. And he, you know, a lot of I think warranted criticism that he doesn't win a lot of those balls. He's not the kind of receiver you expect him to be at his height, weight, athletic ability. You expect him to get some Julio Jones type catches, just jumping over guys with strong hands, high pointing it. He doesn't. He's more of a God, kind of a Daryl Jackson, Bobby Ingram type where, you know, you need a big 10, 12 yard reception, middle of the field in traffic or a guy to make a physical catch when you need it. That's what he tends to do. Well, we don't see him get a lot of deep balls. We don't see him with a lot of home runs. Interesting. Um, Let's see what else we got. Jeffrey Mulliken. Need to be more disciplined on offense. Third down flop always, and Gino was off all game. Do you mean on third down he was off all game? Because he did throw for 369 yards and 104 passer rating, 31 out of 47. Eight-yard average per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, here's a shout out, another shout-out to Brian. Bring back the Supersonics. I like it. Um. TD, uh, offensive line is the key to run and pass. It starts there. And he says, how how can they improve the O-line? I There's not much you can do now. That was as close to our opening day desired offensive line lineup as we've had in quite some time since Lucas went out, really. Uh, because Phil Haynes was back at right guard. Uh, Evan Brown, Damian Lewis, Charles Cross at left tackle. And then the platoon... I'm going to call it, of Stone Forsyth and Jason Peters. It'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. Uh, Peters, I think, this was the third week he was elevated off the practice squad, so they're going to have to put him on the 53 next week. And I thought late in the game, second half, when I would key on him and watch him, 41 years old, and that dude can still play. Like, he was pushing guys. I mean, Jonathan Allen's no joke. Deron Payne's no joke. He was getting pushed in the run game. He looked nimble still on uh, in pass sets. Um, I can't say he was better than Forsyth, but um, but the offensive line's all. In fact, here uh, there was another stat I want to go back to again. Uh, and this one I know was from Brady Henderson from ESPN Stats Info. The Seahawks allowed pressure on a season low. of Geno Smith's dropbacks today. Smith entered the week taking pressure at the third highest rate in the NFL at 39%. He was only pressured 21% of the time today, and the Seahawks ran for 120 yards. Um, So I'm not sure you can put that on the offensive line. I thought they were better today. Um, Jeffrey Mulkin says Ken Walker needs a fullback to pound that ball. I disagree with that. I mean, Waldron is as creative as anyone in the league at using two running backs at a time, two tight ends at a time. Did that a couple times. Almost looked like lined up in like a, like a pistol formation with Gino flanked by two tight ends. We saw a lot more of that today. Um, yeah. Interesting that, uh, <laughs> 
Uh, another one from Brian. And I think he, he made this comment before I talked about Jason Peters. Um, when somebody else, when TD asked, how can they improve the offensive line? He said, by not signing 40 year olds past their prime. I thought Jason Peters was really good today. And I think if you go back and watch the tape, you'll see that he was. Uh, Luke Britt, Gino isn't consistent enough. He should read the pressures and quick release it. Agreed. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And this, this drove me crazy through Russell's whole career here, although you could kind of explain it away in some circumstances with Russ because of his height. It was a legit issue. But there are so many times we see Gino. Mark Sanchez pointed out a couple of them today. By the way, another side note, I I, I think I watched a couple broadcast broadcasts with Mark Sanchez last year and hated him. I didn't hate him today. Like people get better at their jobs. And I think Mark Sanchez was pretty good today. But he pointed out a couple of times he thought, I don't know why he didn't look there. I don't know why he didn't hit that guy. I don't know what it is. What's going on in his head that keeps him from just making that throw and anticipating. He knows where the route's going. He can see there's no safety coverage on it. Just hang it up on the post route and let a guy make a play. I don't know. Uh, overthinking, it, you know, it's a four-game stretch now. But maybe th- those plays are always going to be there to some to some respects, but it's what happens in between them. Can we still succeed? Can we still win? Uh, the answer today was yes. Uh, Cole Jensen, do you think the offense stepped up or the commanders are just not that good? Have you seen... Uh, how close, how tightly the commanders played the Eagles twice, right? Yeah, I get it. That was with Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat. Um, but look, it's, I guess here's what I would say about that. For the last two weeks, all we have heard is massive, heavy criticism of the Seahawks offense. And some of it's come from me. And we overlooked the fact they were playing back-to-back weeks, the best two defenses in the league. So then they come out and they have more success the next week against a bottom 10 team. And we don't give them credit for that. It's the NFL. It's the GD NFL, right? Again, I think that's double dipping. You rip them for not being able to succeed more offensively against the two best defenses in the league. But then they do what they're supposed to do and they put up points finally and yards. And it's, uh, well, the team's not good enough. I mean, we're going to find out, right? <laughs> we're going to find out a lot more in uh, two to five weeks. <laughs> that gauntlet, my goodness. Um, let me see if I can pull this one up on Twitter as well. Because uh, speaking of that... And speaking of, um, you know, double dipping and just trying to have it both ways. Got into it with a guy, uh, this guy, Joe Schmo Real on Twitter. Uh, doesn't want to give the Seahawks any credit today for the, what they did on offense because Washington has since dis- dismantled their defense. Seattle gets bailed out on a questionable penalty to win the game. It was clear pass interference, uncajused, clear pass interference. Uh, they're frauds and will get swept by the Niners and probably lose next week as well. 
This is the kind of fandom that I just hate. And it's, I think it's all bred by the hot take culture. What is in, you know, proliferated on uh, sports talk television and radio these days is everything has to be such a definitive comment. Everything has to be a hot take. Everything has to be black and white because what he says, let's, let's decipher this tweet for a second. Uh, they're frauds. Well, to be frauds, to use that word fraud implies that they were considered a Super Bowl contender to begin with, right? Nobody thought that. They're a team that's six and three, and some of their wins are against good teams, and some aren't, and some of their losses are against good teams, and some aren't. How can you be fraudulent? You know, that implies that a team was expected to be outstanding and isn't. Uh, this is still the fifth youngest roster in the league, or it was before uh, signing Frank Clark and uh, and Leonard and training for Leonard Williams. But to start the season, fifth youngest roster in the league, still trying to find their way. Uh, and then he says uh, they'll get swept by the 49ers and probably lose next week as well. Okay, that could happen. Still doesn't mean they're not a good, not great team that has an 80% chance according to PFF after this win to make the playoffs. They're six and three. You don't go six and three accidentally in the NFL. I just don't believe that you do. Uh, Let's see. Who do we got? Oh, somebody wants to talk draft. Jeffrey again, 2024 draft. Trade DK for a top pick and land our quarterback of the future. Bring in Jim Harbaugh. Oh, there's a lot going on in that, in that comment, isn't there? Uh, are you sure that DK would get a first round pick in return? I'm not sure. You want to do it to save the salary cap space? I mean, that's a discussion. And, and I'll say this, like, I, I like having DK Metcalf on this team. I think this team's better for having him on the team, but every off season you have hard decisions to make. And we can have that discussion just right along with Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, Will Disley. We can have those discussions this off season because you have to manage the cap. You have to make hard decisions every year. Uh, we're going to talk about draft, and we're going to talk about QB of the future. Michael Thompson, 12th Man Rising, is going to join me. We're going to do a midseason mock draft, our first mock draft. I'm going to have Michael prepare a mock draft because he is much farther ahead of me at this point in uh, in looking at the draft prospects for the coming season. I'll, I don't really get into that until January, February, and catch up on that so I can do my own mocks. Uh, but we're going to talk about that, the idea of taking a quarterback, who it could be, where the Seahawks are going to draft, you know, how that would work on the, on the, on the roster. We're going to get into that later this week. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the audio podcast. So you can catch that. Uh, and bring in Jim Harbaugh. It's interesting. If, when, when Pete Carroll ever decides to call it quits next year, the year after whatever. In particular, if it happened this offseason, he just decided he wanted to retire. Certainly, most people are now thinking Jim Harbaugh is eyeing a return to the NFL because of everything that's happening at Michigan. When there were rumors, if you remember when Paul Allen was still alive, I can't remember what year it was exactly. It was maybe two, three years after the Super Bowl. 15-ish, 16, Jay Glazer reported that Pete Carroll might be considering retirement. 
and that Paul Allen was somewhere traveling the world, but that he had a hit list already ready and it had three big names on it at the time. And those three big names were, I know one was Bill Cower. I think Nick Saban was the other one and Jim Harbaugh. I believe those were the three names. Now, Paul's no longer with us. Um, but it would be interesting if uh, if Jody uh, remembers that or held uh, Harbaugh in the same respect. Um, Cole Jensen, I also agree that I could get used to this style of DK. I mean, I think maybe our expectations of him should be altered. He's not Tyreek Hill. He's not A.J. Brown. He's for a guy that runs a four, two, four, three, like he's kind of a possession receiver, isn't he? You know, guy that catches the ball in traffic, but doesn't necessarily go up and make spectacular plays above the rim. Um, uh, hopefully Abe Lucas can come back soon from T money. We should know more this week, right? He keeps talking about how he's closer. I just, my whole thing on Abe Lucas is, don't bring him back until or unless he's 100% healthy. And if he doesn't get to 100% healthy, just redshirt him, to use a college term. Uh, and just, you know, have whatever procedure or surgery you need to have. Right? The whole thing's been mysterious since since the beginning of it. Um, does that indicate it's some sort of degenerative or potentially long-term issue? Like, just get it fixed. and Don't rush him back. Because I think if you go back and look at the tape, and I know they've they've got some things coming up, right? You'd much rather have Abe Lucas against the 49ers and the Eagles and the Cowboys if he's healthy. Um, Donald Carpenter with a with an optimistic post. The nucleus is there on both sides of the ball. I still believe that. The question is, do we have enough blue chip players? to be a contender? Are we still maybe one more good offseason away? You know, we added some this year. Devin Witherspoon certainly is one of them. If they can re-sign Leonard Williams, they've added him to the mix. You know, we feel a lot better about that defensive line now than we did on the opening day 53-man roster, don't we? They got some decisions to make on the offensive line next year. Both guards are going to be up contract-wise. Um... There's a nucleus there. There's a lot of things. I think a lot of, if John Schneider retired this offseason, Jody Allen would get a crap ton of phone calls and emails and resumes. There'd be a lot of, a lot of interest in this roster. Uh, T.D. Sherm needs to have a talk with Reek. I don't know what that's about. I thought Reek looked good today. Um... Luke Britt, if you actually look at Gino's progression on reads, he's actually regressing on his decision-making, especially the quick read. It sure seems like it, doesn't it? And, you know, what is it? Why is that? Is that teams figuring out his tells, teams figuring out his tendencies and working concepts into their coverage that give him pause? Uh, I don't know. Nathan Church loved the throws on the last drive, took advantage of the middle of the field and hit Metcalf on time. He did. And, you know, I tend to think, and they they went, you know, we saw a couple opportunities in this game where they went tempo, end of the first half, and then certainly end of the game. 
And I've been saying this for a while. I wish they would do that just at different points throughout the game because I think I tweeted early in the second half, oh, this is what the offense looks like when it gets into rhythm. Really good pass-mix balance. And Geno seemed to get into a rhythm. We were sustaining drives, even though even though we, we were stinking it up on third down. But I bet if we went and looked at the numbers, you know, dove a little deeper, they were just doing pretty well on first and second down. Um, what do we got here? <laughs> yeah, rock man drums. I was yelling, throw the effing ball, Gino, so many times today. Same. Um, but again, without seeing the all 22, you know, I sound like the, I sound like coach after the game, right? Well, I have to watch the tape. It's, it's hard to tell from the TV copy sometimes um, why he might not have gone a certain way. 16-bit blocker. I always told my players two advantages on offense. You know the snap count and what the play is. Huge advantages. If you play clean, it is. Seahawks uh, went forward on fourth down three times today. Um, and the first two failed. One because of a penalty. False start. And... Uh, the other one, a delay game. <laughs> Couldn't get the play in. Really stunk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. TD, Gino had a low pressure percentage today. We talked about that earlier. And produced, is it pressure-related performance? I've said this before. You'll hear, you'll hear broadcast teams say this. Like, even the elite quarterbacks. Like, some are better against the blitz and, and under under pressure than others, but if you can pressure a quarterback, you're always you're always better off as a defense. And uh, but yeah, I do think he went up against a very very good Cincinnati defense on the road, and then the two best defenses in the league in Cleveland and Baltimore. I mean, that was three back to back to back weeks, and he got a little bit of a break, and he settled in in the second half. Um. Now we need to see him continue that. If we're going to feel good, I guess if we're going to kind of wrap this thing up, there's a couple more you want to get to though. Love the comments, you guys really love it. Um, If we're going to have an opportunity at all in that four game stretch, 49ers, Cowboys, 49ers, Eagles, I think is how it goes. Or is the other way around those four teams in four weeks. Uh, If we're going to have an opportunity to, in any way, shape, or form, just avoid being swept during that stretch. Really would like to see Gino have back-to-back performances like this. Now come out and build on this second half against the Rams uh, down at SoFi. 
Um, very, very, very important. And uh, we'll, we'll dig into that. Um, hoping to get Jake Ellenbogen back on the show. We had him on before the opener. And uh, some of you will really enjoy that because if you remember his predictions on what the Rams and Seahawks were going to do, uh, we'll get his thoughts on where it stands now at the mid at the midpoint. And this is a really, really important game coming up for the Seahawks because because of what follows. And uh, and the Rams always give them problems. Divisional games are always tricky. Um, by the way, looking around the division, <laughs> we've talked about it's a week-to-week league. We've talked about how we find out more about teams each week. I think this, uh, the San Francisco 49ers answered some questions today, right? Three straight losses heading into the bye, issues on defense, criticisms of Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator there. They trade for Chase Young. Brock Purdy had a couple of back-to-back poor games leading into the, into the bye. They travel to Jacksonville. Play the six and two Jaguars and roll them. Roll them the same way that the Ravens took the Seahawks to the woodshed last week. 34 to three. Purdy with 300 yards and three touchdowns. McCaffrey's uh, consecutive game touchdown streak came to an end despite at the end they were trying to run the score up by getting him a touchdown. Um, big game, couple big plays from George Kittle. So it looks like, uh, I'll take a look at their box score. I wanted to see. Uh, what kind of impact Chase Young had in this game? Uh, just one tackle, but he had two quarterback hits and a half sack in his first game. The 49ers had five sacks total. Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave with one and a half each, and Eric Armstead uh, shared the stat or shared that sack with Chase Young. So um, now would be a good time for the Seahawks offense to get it in gear, right? But then we also, uh, the other interesting thing, Rams are on a bye, of course, um, which adds intrigue to that matchup coming up this week. In addition to the fact they signed Carson Wentz to play quarterback, presuming Matt Stafford can't go with that, with that uh, damaged thumb. They released Brett Rippon who had started the last two games and the Seahawks signed him to their practice squad this week. Uh, Kyler Murray came back today for the Arizona Cardinals and looked like he had never blown his ACL was scrambling, had 33 yards rushing and a touchdown on six carries, went 19 out of 32 for 249 yards, had a pick, um, and then drove him down the field at the end for a game-winning field goal. So really interesting what's going on there in Arizona. Instead of full-on tanking, as we all expected them to do this year, uh, they're now trying to find out what they have in Kyler Murray so that, so that they can make some decisions next, next year. Uh, let's see what I got here. Anything else I can throw in before I wrap this up? Um, Maddie Jack, why doesn't Seattle use more screen plays with our dynamic backs? I don't know. Probably because we're terrible at it. I tweeted this out early in the game when they failed on yet another screen pass. It doesn't matter who the quarterback has been over the years. It doesn't matter who the play caller has been, the head coach, the, well, mostly under Pete Carroll, because I think they were a good screen team under Mike Holmgren. It was a big part of that West Coast offense, right? For whatever reason, man, they just can't. The screen is just not a weapon for the Seahawks. And it's a damn shame because they do. They have two dynamic running backs, three now that Kenny McIntosh is back, although he was a healthy scratch. He was inactive for this game. Um, 
they just, it's a timing thing. It's a play design thing. Maybe it's an offensive line thing. Maybe the type of offensive linemen we have just don't, I don't know. It drives me crazy. They're getting better at the wide receiver screen part of it with JSN. And early in this game, they did have a successful screen pass to our old friend, Will Disley, who we haven't heard from in quite a while. Um, for a 16-yard gain, a little inside screen that I thought was cool. So maybe there's some little signs. Um, but that's been a real frustration. It's been since what? Oh, remember the John L. Williams days? How dangerous he was on screen passes. Um, that's going to do it. I'm going to wrap this up at 51 minutes. Thanks uh, to all of you for tuning in. Um, if you missed any part of this, it'll post to the YouTube channel, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. Uh, buy me a coffee or a beer. That link is in the description. And uh, like I said, coming up this week, Jeff Simmons tomorrow, really looking forward to talking with him. Love his analysis. Um, he's one of those guys that's capable of uh, balancing his emotions it appears and seems like and, and his his head and his heart um hold on um and so looking forward to that and then uh midweek michael thompson we're gonna do our first mock draft we're gonna look ahead and we're gonna yeah yeah we're gonna address the elephant in the room is it time for the seahawks to draft a quarterback should that be with their first pick and who might that be i have some strong thoughts on that and uh michael will put together a draft for us that i'm sure will be compelling and then uh, later in the week, uh, again, hoping to have Jake Ellenbogen uh, from the Rams side of things on so that we can preview the game. And um, if I have time to do a fourth show, try to get in some all 22 tape and break down some of the some of those plays that people thought Gino left on the field again this week. Seahawks a 29-26 winner, 6-3, still tied for first place in the NFC West despite the fact the sky is falling and everything's terrible. Thank you for watching. <laughs>